Welcome to That's Orgasmic, a podcast discussing the orgasmic and not-so-orgasmic moments of all things sex, relationships, and mental health. I am your host, Emily Duncan, and I'm a sexologist who provides online sex coaching sessions to help you cultivate sexual wellness. Today, I'm joined with Bridget Scholes, a sexologist and founder of Bridget Scholes Sexology and co-founder of Madame Dahlia, offering a range of pleasure products and lingerie. So welcome to That's Orgasmic. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you here as well. And we're going to be discussing non-monogamy, which is a topic that I love to talk about and I myself am super curious about. And I think a lot of my listeners and honestly just society in general is getting a lot more curious about this topic. Um, and I'd love to just start with, I guess, the basics. Um, so obviously like what non-monogamy is and I guess some of the most common non-monogamous structures that there are. Yeah, okay, great. Well, non-monogamy is not tying yourself down to one person either romantically or sexually and it can range from between being between romantically and or just sexually and it means that you might have a variety of different partners and or you see other people um, on a sexual level and it's an agreement you have either with your partner or partners with the set of boundaries and, and rules that you agree upon. Yeah, amazing. Would you, you say fi- that's about right? Yeah, I reckon. That's uh, that's how I would describe it. Um, I think just the important thing for like listeners to know is that it's something that's agreed upon. It's not just one partner deciding and going off and doing their own thing. It's very much an ongoing conversation and an agreement that's between not only I guess yeah I mean obviously it depends on the structure because it could be like yeah there is a sort of term called a head in the sand non-monogamy which is almost like I know it's happening but I don't want to know Mm-hmm. but whether that's agreed upon or not it's sort of like there's a very thin line there but um I think uh, for it to work it's consensually agreed upon by both parties definitely yeah no absolutely so I would love to know a bit about your own experience um within non-monogamy yeah I'm happy to share that so um I was in a monogamous relationship and marriage for a long time and about 23 years and came out of that relationship and um, just started experimenting uh, with a different styles of relationships because I, I felt like I just there was that sort of monogamous structure just didn't work for me personally um, and I met a beautiful partner and uh, spoke to him from the outset that I was sort of uh, looking to have a non-monogamous relationship. So there's so many different structures of a non-monogamous relationships um, where you can just have sort of an open relationship where each partner has other sexual um, partners 
but then you're romantically attached or you can have like a polyamorous relationship where you you have many partners where you're also romantically attached and you divide your time between those partners um but my experience is that we're sitting in an open relationship where we do things together in a group style and then on our own yeah awesome how did you find going into that obviously you've had a marriage that was 23 years and then entering a non-monogamous I guess lifestyle it was really liberating it was really liberating for me um I wanted to have other sexual experiences and once you have a narrative in a relationship it's really hard to change that narrative so if it's monogamous um, it, it can happen but in my my instance that narrative couldn't be changed so I I've stepped out of that relationship and then when I met my partner it felt really liberating well to have open and honest communication about what how I felt about monogamy and non-monogamy and and what I want and someone who was receptive to listening to those ideas and and feeling the same way it was great Mm, that's awesome I guess I would also be intrigued to know how like are you openly non-monogamous to the people like around you in like your life like friends family uh I'm not openly non-monogamous with my family it's sort of that they're more conservative mm-hmm. um, people, I guess, and it's not something that we really discuss. And sex is actually not something in our family dynamic that was ever really discussed anyway. Yeah. And that's half the reason why I'm a sexologist is yeah. because, you know, that topic's been something I've really been interested in and I want people to be educated in all areas of sexuality. Um and yes, my friends know about the dynamic of my relationship, yes. Yeah, so I'm interested to know, obviously, because um, do you not mind me asking, like, how old you are? Obviously, if you no. had a 23-year marriage. Yeah, so I was married for 16, but we were together for 23 years. Yeah. But that doesn't matter. That's beside the point. Um, I'm 43. 43. Okay, but you yeah, can ask awesome. me openly. Because I was like trying him. to do, I was doing the maths. I'm like together for 23 years. <laughs> I know. I got married yeah. when I was 12 because I look so young. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just curious, I guess that age um, of people, whether it's something that's still taboo for them or it's something that I guess is a bit more open because I feel like, um, like I'm in my 20s. It's definitely still taboo, but it's, definitely more of I feel like a a conversation and not as um like you know hidden I guess I think when I grew up that wasn't even an option or even spoken about I didn't even understand that and so if you felt non-monogamous you were cheating or you were a cheater Mm. and the conversation wasn't like uh hey honey hey babe or whatever you call your partner I'm really um thinking about you know, sexually, I want to experiment. That would have been just like completely off limits. It was sort of that um, very colonized idea of being mar- married and white picket fence and and children, and that was that was how a relationship was structured. So, I don't think I even thought that that was a thing. And then when I felt like I w- 
wanted to be non-monogamous, it sort of came with a bit of shame attached to that. Mm. Um, and it wasn't still until I started sort of researching and looking out and thinking, actually, this you can do that. There is a way that you can do this ethically um, if both parties are in, in agreement. And um, it does take time, it takes work, but it definitely can work. Mm. was there anything that helped you in that process like any like resources or anything that you were using to I guess try and navigate the this feeling and desire that you had to explore this um well fuckload of mistakes firstly (laughs) (laughs) but there's a research that there's actually a really great um, resource on curious creatures uh, they're a Melbourne-based, they do workshops and they have an opening up to opening up little course that you can buy online. And I just stumbled on it actually because I was researching a lot about it and thinking, well, how can how can we manage this in a structure or in a way that's going to work where everyone's happy? So I did that because it had step-by-step little videos and then some exercises on how to navigate jealousy, um, how to create boundaries and and rules and what structures of non-monogamy there could be, you know, because one couple's structure might be completely different to another couple's structure, but as long as they're both agreed upon it, nothing's wrong or bad with that. Um, And there's another book that I've read... um, I can't remember, it's Poly Secure. Yeah, Poly Secure. Yeah, Poly Secure. And I'm still currently actually reading that. And um, that's more about attachment style and and polyamory and and navigating that as well. Do you have advice for those who are wanting to explore non-monogamy? And I'm very interested to hear, I guess, a bit about the mistakes you made. Obviously, it's going to be unique to every person. um, But yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Um, my advice firstly would be to be as honest as you possibly can with your partner because it feels really scary and it's a very courageous thing to bring up, especially if you're already in a monogamous narrative relationship and then you want to keep that relationship but you want to open it up. So to do that as honestly as possible would be advice number one. Uh, the secondly, the the mistakes that we've made in my current relationship is uh, not really having clear boundaries mm. or set sort of guidelines to how we um, sort of manage, not manage, but how we, you know, we, we might have gone into a situation and we haven't said, well, we don't like it when each other leaves the room, we stay together for example, um, and not having that conversation before we enter the space and then someone's left the space and it and we don't feel good. So just having like really clear boundaries with each other and, and that's what I mean by making mistakes and learning so much um, and then having these conversations after the experience is just super important. So yes, it might feel like a an argument after the experience, but you can recover from that, learn from that, talk to each other, communicate, communicate. Like I cannot um, sort of like highlight communication enough and honest communication, mm. and and also um, sort of 
instead of feeling like boundaries are rules for your partner, really it's like how can I facilitate what you want while I'm still comfortable? So rather than someone feel like they're getting like lots of rules placed on them and and they might feel sort of really trapped in that sort of dynamic, it's like, well, what would you like? How can I facilitate it? And where's my boundary with that? Um, Was there more to that question? Yeah, no, well, that was, I mean, that was a great start. And I love like what you've just, what you've said there, especially making it like boundaries, not rules. And I feel like, because whenever you're in the situation, you never know what's going to actually happen. Yeah. um, How you're both going to feel. Um, Things obviously can change in the moment. So obviously communicating throughout. Um, I had somebody once say, you almost have to like prepare for things to go wrong in a way. Like you have to prepare for like, if that boundary is almost you know going to be crossed or things so that you are prepared for when that happens yeah we will have a pre-conversation about the things that could go wrong before the experience and um and talk like a lot through that as well because we both come together and find the experiences really exciting and, and and really liberating but um we don't want anything to go awry because our our relationship is number one. We're mm-hmm. number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other advice for those who are, you know, wanting to explore this? Um, firstly, don't think that you're bad or you're wrong or um, that you're not normal because what's normal? Um, mm-hmm. If you have that feeling that you'd like to explore non-monogamy, um, because there is some shame and stigma attached to it, but it's okay. Um, obviously, I've said be honest, be honest, be honest, because that's so important. Communicate, and um, you know, just just dip your toes in the water, like don't dive in you know you I mean you can dive straight in if you like but that's how I've had a lot of mistakes and then learn mm-hmm. um but you know try just dipping your toe in the water with one experience that you've really spoken about you both feel comfortable about um and then also don't do something yourself that you're not comfortable with to please your partner because I generally find that if you're agreeing to something, for example, like a threesome where you're bringing in another female and and you want your partner, your male partner, for example, to have that experience, but if you're not enjoying it in the moment, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of space for things to go wrong there. Mm. Um, and another great Uh, thing to do is actually to go and see either a sexologist or a sex therapist or a sex coach and and have just one session just having a chat to them about as a couple about your desires and your wants and what your boundaries are and they might be able to facilitate sort of uh, how you can have the best experience possible. Yeah, definitely. And I think even just like sitting down with like, you know, say a sexologist, they can suggest boundaries that you might not have even thought about. For instance, yeah. leaving the room. Like for some yeah. people, they might not have even thought that that's going to be something that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so like very much, you know, you could be provided with like, I guess, like a red, orange, green, 
like list and write up your boundaries but be provided with like you know here's all the different types of boundaries that we see so I think that's super beneficial because if you've never experienced it before there's obviously definitely going to be things that you wouldn't even think about or certain scenarios I love when you said the red green and and yellow because you know your red say absolutely no go like that is crossing my boundary I'm not I'm going to be really upset if that happens orange there's that unknown sort of area there and the green is like yep go for it good to go that's the, a perfect way to describe it yeah no definitely um I guess one thing I'm curious about and because I know for myself obviously being in like not in a city in a more like regional area exploring non-monogamy in more regional areas because it feels impossible at times it feels like when you go on certain dating apps like field it's just full of just people that just don't look like they're there for the right reasons to put it in the nicest way yeah um and obviously there isn't like sex parties everywhere and sex clubs and it just doesn't feel as accessible how have you I guess found your experience like with that well it's funny you say that because I live in Torquay and so originally when I started on field which was like quite some time ago maybe like five or six years ago Mm -hmm. and it was like six options and you'd swipe and it was like (laughs) oh no I I don't know if I want to connect with anyone um it was sort of like a, a needle in a haystack finding a good connection yeah but also I opened my range, kilometre range, to go to Melbourne because I was sort of prepared to travel the distance, I guess, for that experience or for them to come down my way or our way, I should say. And now I live partway through, I live a week in Torquay and then a week in Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. So in Melbourne, it's sort of much, it's it's more embraced. There's a lot mm. more people in, in on field. Um, but also in saying that you have to be so careful, Emily, because being catfished and, um, sort of getting sort of people trying to entice you or trick you into sending photographs or doing dirty talk, if you're not comfortable with it, or you haven't vetted them yourself properly, um, you can get in, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. It's with any, any app anyway, but, um, you know. Uh, my advice would be to to vet vet your couple or your potential person who's coming into your relationship or the pers- person you're going to meet outside of your relationship uh, to vet them properly. And when I say vet them, I'm, I mean, um, you know, have a, a general great chat. If you feel a good energy, you might want to swap numbers or move to another platform. And personally for me, I like to have a phone call with Mm. with with them and that was something my partner really um instigated because then we can hear them have a five minute chat make sure we're all on the same page and that they're a real person and then if we feel a good energy we can go from there yeah absolutely I think that's a really important thing obviously on all dating apps but um especially I just feel like certain dating apps like feel do attract sometimes people who aren't there for the right intentions or very much Mm. catfishing like I just know when I went Mm. through it the amount of people who would just like post a picture of their body part or something and I'm like well I can't I understand some people want discretion but then it's also just like 
it just it doesn't feel the same as when you're using other dating apps so I find it could mm. be a bit um off-putting especially if you're used to like mainstream dating apps and you go to this and you're like oh maybe this isn't this isn't for me it's like it can yeah. feel difficult to navigate in that sense um and then obviously it's hard because I don't think is there any like sex parties in Geelong I don't know of any to my knowledge uh, I th- I don't know if there's any like sort of public spa style sex parties I don't I haven't seen that there are any private ones that I that I personally know about. Uh, if you're willing to travel to Melbourne, there's a great sex club, what well, can be great at times, called Between Friends mm-hmm. because it feels like a bar down the bottom. If you don't want to engage in any sexual activity, you can you can talk to people and then leave or you can go upstairs and play. Yeah. Um, and then there's a few sort of more private um sex clubs and and groups with an open life that sort of have an open um lifestyle sort of connections there's a new yeah. group called the shushu it's called shushu yeah. and um it's more of a high end thing but you you get vetted you go in um but the vetting program isn't like you have to be size 6 and you have to you have to be really attractive and mm-hmm. and it's more like and you have to be under 25 or whatever it is it's more like they want to have a conversation with you to see if you're the right type of people have a really good energy they have to sort of sign an agreement about boundaries and mm-hmm. and then they run um they run like cocktail parties and then very high-end like um, masquer- masquerade type balls as well that but that's around Australia. So, um, yeah, it's it's difficult when you are in a more regional area to kind of go to the, the group style parties or clubs. That's just one thing I have found that I wish there was more resources in areas like Geelong. Yeah. Um, I know when I was in Perth, I had the opportunity to go to one uh, like sex party at a venue and it was the best time ever. And I was yeah. like, I wish there was just more of this around obviously Melbourne's not far um there's a great one in Sydney as well um called Our Secret Spot yes I've interviewed them oh it's brilliant yeah 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 yeah. really good good vibes there really good vibes yeah yeah no I'm definitely um I know I'm interested and I've had people reach out and ask you know trying to find where they are because it can seem like it's just so underground like even just like you know doing a google search it can feel so hard to find yeah where they you know where they are do you have any advice for that like is it more just through like when you start like mingling and you just word of mouth or certain platforms that you found helped you find places that were right yeah, so there's a platform that I don't really use to connect with other people, but I use to look for events, and that's called Red Hot Pie. Yeah, totally. And Red Hot Pie has got a list of events that are around Australia, and so you can hone in on Melbourne, and that's where I actually first saw Between Friends mm-hmm. and heard about the, play, the place Between Friends. Um, and they run a lot of other parties, and they have a lot of other um different venues but you just have to be really careful because like we've made the mistake of going to one out in Wolfen it was it just didn't feel quite right for us Mm -hmm. so you do your research do your research on the uh people do your research on who are hosting the event and also on the venue where it is 
Um, and this is all about me making mistakes and learning for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, then as you get into the scene more and more, that's it's word of mouth. So mm-hmm. um, that's how I sort of found out about the uh, Shushu uh, Society basically is just word of mouth. Um, and Instagram, I don't mm-hmm. know, I've seen a few things coming up and popping up in Instagram and maybe if you're following certain sexologists or other like um sex toy companies or things like that they'll often drop names of places as, as well that's how I found out about all of these places mm. and it's here yeah. it's trial and error <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. I don't even know the one I went to I was like oh my god what's this gonna be like and ended up being great which was which yeah. was good but um and obviously everyone's experience is different and what they're looking for so obviously just hearing one person's experience at one place isn't gonna necessarily dictate how your experience is going to go hundred um, percent, yeah. definitely. Do you have any advice, I guess, for for people who are, um, say, you're wanting to explore non-monogamy and bringing that conversation to your partner, but you're currently in a monogamous relationship? It is a very difficult conversation to have, and it feels very, very scary, especially if it's something you've never discussed. Um, and I think my advice would be to, pers- per, um, I mean, firstly, find a time that's not just sprung on your partner, but find mm-hmm. a time that's that where you're both really calm and relaxed, um, and just ease into it because your partner might get really defensive on hearing that idea if it's something that they they've never thought about. Um, so just go really gently. Um, I feel like I might want to start exploring in our relationship. So how do you feel about um, non-monogamy? What are your thoughts on that? So rather than just saying I want, I want to, or let's do this, is sort of gauging their feelings on the topic first, and then trying to discover or if they're ready to open up about that because that that might be just a hard no for some people mm-hmm. and you you need to decide then as, as an individual whether you, you want to live like that or whether you need to change something up but um sort of asking them how they feel and what their thoughts about it are is a great way to gauge it you can watch a show that might sort of depict like a non-monogamy. I was just thinking that. I'm just trying yeah. to think of a show off the top of my head. Um, oh, gosh, I can't. Is there one called You, Me, Her? Me, Her. Yes, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Yeah. You, Me, Her. And then, you know, as the program's going along, getting a gauge on what your partner mm-hmm. might think about that and sort of having these sort of conversations. And it could be, oh, that that looks exciting. Or, wow, like I've never thought about that. And then you can move the conversation from the the show or the book or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. to you as a couple yeah 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 definitely I think that's a great idea and I was even just thinking um you even just getting like a yes no maybe list off the internet about all different types of you know different sexual acts and having (laughs) non-monogamous ones in there to get Mm -hmm. a gauge on like you know I just want to you know explore our sexuality in general maybe not necessarily on that specific specific thing and getting that gauge because I can imagine it'd be um very intimidating to come forward to that and obviously if you're you know 
in a loving relationship and you know you have this desire but you're not like I will end this relationship if this doesn't happen you don't obviously want your partner to be like oh my god I'm not enough or this and that yes because it can bring up a lot of insecurities for people a hundred percent I think being in a non-monogamous relationships can bubble to the surface a lot of your insecurities and working through that is really important even Mm. like either on your own or through research or with a professional because um, especially the feeling of jealousy and knowing that jealousy is a normal feeling it's how you manage or react to that feeling that's really important um, because you can react in a really emotional way where you come outside of your frame of tolerance and and there's a blow-up or you can name the feeling and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit jealous or a bit insecure here. Um, I think it's because of this. Can we talk about it? And having your partner reassure you is just as important as well, having that reassurance. Um, and that might ha- be a conversation you have like all the time or check in every now and again, just, just as long as you're communicating really well together. Yeah, and I think it's such a myth that jealousy doesn't exist in non-monogamy. Like, I just, I think people just for some reason assume that, you know, getting jealous is bad if it's in a non-monogamous relationship or if you're feeling jealous that you shouldn't be in one and you want to be monogamous. Yeah. Um, But it's just, it, it's one of those feelings that, that does come up. And as you said, it's how you respond to it and manage it. I don't think it's something that's ever going to going to disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great Instagram um, person that I follow I think their name is I'll try and find it but it's like polyamory um, she's not Australian but she puts up a lot of great posts about different sort of scenarios about polyamory or non-monogamy mm-hmm. so it's called polyphilia blog yes um, I, follow the, I follow them yeah. yeah so they put up a lot of great like posts about feelings of jealousy and and how that's normal and um you know just different little tidbits and advice about non-monogamous relationships or or polyamorous relationships yeah Mm, yeah I definitely recommend for people to go and um give them a follow on social media because they definitely have great resources resources and there's also heaps of people on Instagram now talking about this where you can I guess even before you're bringing up this up to a partner or exploring it on your own just to get a gauge and learn um yeah because it can be so daunting and especially all like different labels um and just how you want it to look for yourself because obviously it looks different with every single relationship yes it does there's there's a great sort of like chart that's like a cross and it's sort of got basically like high sexual exclusivity, low sexual exclusivity, high romantic exclusivity, low romantic exclusivity. And you place yourself, depending on where you place yourself in this like um, cross chart, mm-hmm. is there's a term or a name for your your idea of non-monogamy, I guess. And there's like so many different ways you can label it if you like or you don't have to label it and you can just go with what you agree upon on with your partner. But um I've seen it once before, but it's a great way to look at it and like break it down into the different different sections. Cause that can be confusing too, even just trying to work mm. out how you want the relationship to look. Like Yeah. 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 
Absolutely. Like for me personally, um, my partner and I are primary partners and we explore sexually outside of our relationship and together, but we don't have romantic or long-term relationships with other people and that's what we're comfortable with. It may change in the future, I don't know, but um, at the moment because you need to check in all the time and then make sure that everyone's you're both happy and um, whereas other couples may have many different romantic partners as, as well. Um, as each other as their primary partner or no primary partner mm, absolutely yeah. do you have I guess any other advice um, or any other like common maybe mistakes that um, you see or have made personally um, I think well I guess what I said before is establishing your, your boundaries early on um, don't let your mistakes be a make or break if you can, um, but use it to communicate, use it to learn, and then use it to move forward so you both, um, you, you are happy. Um, ooh, I don't know what else. There's so, there's so many common mistakes that can be made. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there might be something that's like really specially intimate for you and your partner that you don't want them to do to another person. And, you know, if you're not clear on that, then you might need to make sure you're all really clear on on your do's. You, you def definitely do nots mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, I guess, is there anything in your experience, like just like one thing that's like the most prominent thing that you're like, I wish I had a done that differently or had done more research into this first um anything like in particular Ooh, that's a hard question there's been so many mistakes <laughs> <laughs> um okay so I think going into a scenario where there's a, a third person or a guest as uh into your dynamic um and then uh one of us leaving the room with that person I think and that wasn't agreed upon and it sort of wasn't talked about and then it left one of us feeling uh a bit sort of insecure or left mm. left out of the game or mm. um jealous even and uh having that conversation like at the time and then that blowing up into sort of not not a full-blown argument but just like us both sort of sitting in a really unhappy space and then obviously the person who's coming to the situation they're not really comfortable either mm. um so that's probably been not a, not a great experience because you want to kind of nurture that experience for the other person that comes in as well or the other mm -hmm. people that come in as well mm -hmm. um and make sure you're all on the same page. And mm -hmm. if you're all on the same page, it can work out like so beautifully. It can be so liberating and it's so nice to be able to express yourself sexually in a, in a way that you and your partner feel comfortable. 
Mm. I think that's a really important point too is especially if you're in a like primary partnered relationship that it's not just your desires it's also the other people that are coming in as well I think I've seen people very much just focus on like looking for a unicorn and just to satisfy their needs but not looking at that person's needs and what they're wanting and kind of just using them as like like a sexual um object yeah yeah Yeah, just like something to you know satisfy their needs and not seeing them as they're their own person yes this is a three like however many people weigh like it needs to be all agreed upon you're all on the same level it's not that someone has more power over the other um because I feel like I've seen that a lot with couples they will especially at the beginning, we'll just see it as something satisfying their needs, not actually like this person is that's you know, right. has their own desire. Yeah. And I've been in both situations where I've been a guest as a into a couple. Um and it was beautiful because uh everyone was really respected and we all talked about uh talked to each other and were all on the same level and I didn't and there was aftercare for me as the third person as well and you know you you don't just get up and you're kicked out or or you're asked to leave you you know you might sit there and have a glass of wine or just lay there and and have a chat and a laugh and then you know um have a little bit of aftercare for the other person as well 100% it has to be a respectful um dynamic 100% yeah and I think that's just another important point, the aftercare. Um, it yeah. doesn't just – it's not – you know, it's important to do all the work beforehand, your research, the t- communication, everything, but that aftercare is also so important for yeah. everybody there. And then obviously if you have a primary partner or partners, like going and having that continuous communication afterwards yeah. as well. Yeah, I think that's something we've learned as well is just having – with my primary partner – really good aftercare and spending some quality time talking about it um and talking about what we liked if there was stuff that we didn't like talking about that um having maybe our own time our own intimate experience as well afterwards um it's it just makes the whole experience sort of feel very um like beautiful and full and completed if that makes sense Mm, yeah that does yeah it's a lovely way to put it is there anything else that you want to touch on within like this topic in particular I don't think so I think I mean I'm still learning too like Mm -hmm. it's it's not uh, something that I've been doing for 10 years or or a long time or I've been like that my whole life it's um it's just so I've so I've only really been doing it for about five years, and um, it's just a learning curve, and you've got to treat it like a learning curve. And there's no right or wrong, and um, if you can try and dismantle or let go of that shame that sometimes society might have attached to it, it can be so hard for some people. Mm. Um, I guess. That's that's sort of it, but I'm I'm still learning myself mm. every day. Yeah, yeah, and I think that with sexuality in general, it's something that's constantly evolving. You're constantly having to learn what you like, what you don't like. Boundaries change. Like yeah. 
it's just something that it's you're never gonna hit it like an end point yeah like it's never it's you're never gonna stop learning no when you stop learning or you think you've learned everything that's like you know that's that that's when you stop growing Mm-hmm, and so when, if you keep being open to learning, you're going to keep growing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So I'd love to know a bit about um, your own businesses and like the services that you offer. Oh, I'd love to share that. So um, I have my own sexology business. It's called Bridget Skulls Sexology. And um, I just offer couples and individual counseling sessions on a range of different um, sort of sexological, uh, what am I trying to say? Sexological, I mean, kind of issues, issues or yeah, yeah uh, or things that they want to talk about or things mm-hmm. that they want to nut out. Couples that you know might have low desire or mismatched libidos, um, and I do that via Zoom. And then I also have another gorgeous little business, which I started before my sexology business. And this is what's propelled me to become a sexologist is I started an ethical um, and environmentally eco sex toy brand with my, uh, I co-founded it with um, my partner, Jess Townsend, and we're both very passionate about the environment. Um, We I'm very passionate about sex and sexuality and we wanted to do something that just empowered all people um, to embrace their sexuality but also um, slow down with maybe their their own masturbation process mm-hmm. or their their own pleasure and get in touch with their bodies. Mm-hmm. So we do dildos that are made from glass or other sex toys that are made from borosilicate glass um, and just not that there's anything wrong with vibrators. There's a time and a place for everything. But um, my passion is to teach people but also I'm very passionate about vulva owners to um, get in touch with their own bodies and to educate themselves on their biology and how they're built and then find out how to um, get in touch with their pleasure mindfully um, Mm. so then they can relay that to another person because a lot of the education that young people get is from pornography and that I've got teenage children myself and that's often what's depicted is maybe not what people like and often women or vulva owners I should say don't sort of have an open conversation about masturbation or about their bodies and it's not taught that well in schools in sex education so that's what Madame Dahlia for me is a platform to educate people and um, offer them a range of dildos that can help them find some mindful pleasure. Yeah, and that's fabulous. I love that it's mindful pleasure and I very much, I remember the first time scrolling through, I could see that and that was definitely, like I could see that that's what you were aiming for, um, which is nice because I feel like obviously we're not taught about masturbation enough in itself um, and then very much it's just like, oh, get a vibrator and just get yourself off as quickly as you can or yeah. turn it up as high as you can not to actually slow down and be in your body yeah. and explore it. So I think that's really important. Yeah, 
And I, I talk to people about seducing yourself and having an actual full experience. And, you know, when you're in the bedroom with other people or another person, you expect to have some foreplay before you kind of dive into penetrative sex, if that's even what you want to do. And it's so orgasm focused. And if you kind of can try and let go of that focus and um, actually uh, seduce yourself if you're, you know, having solo play, um, that can lead into a really beautiful, mindful and very orgasmic potentially experience just on your own. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I would love to know what is something that is orgasmic to you? What is orgasmic to me? Well, it, life is orgasmic to me. <laughs> I for some reason knew you were going to turn around and be like everything. Uh, <laughs> I literally had that thought pop in my mind. I have not had that yet, but. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty sexual creature, but and I find that it's really empowering to be or feel that way, and also mm-hmm. have my partner embrace that as well. Yeah. Um. And I do like variety, or variety is the spice of life. So trying lots of different new things, and I like to talk about sex with um my clients and also with just other people in general about being uh really playful. It's like a playground for adults where uh, you just kind of try. It's very hard to do for a lot of people, but try and leave your worries at the door and engage in this this playful experience and where, you know, the worries of life aren't there for that, that, that period of time. Um, you, you're having it's – a, it's a fun game as long as you're both consenting. Um, Role-playing can be great. So, yeah, I find that really orgasmic too. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. So where can my listeners, like, find you on, like, social media and all of that? You can find me either at Bridget Skulls Sexology um, on Instagram and BridgetSkullsSexology.com.au on my website. Uh, you can also find Madame Dahlia at Madame.Dahlia. Uh, on Instagram and then uh, madamdalia.com.au on my website as well. Awesome. And I'll have all of that linked in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about your own experiences and just sharing your knowledge. It was great. Oh, thank you for having me. That's such a good conversation. It feels really good to talk about and be open and hopefully help some people out there as well. As always, Shaggers, please reach out with any comments, questions, or stories, either through my Instagram at That's Orgasmic or my email, emilyduncan at that'sorgasmic.com. Please subscribe, whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast, and leave a review as I'd love to know what you're thinking. So thank you, Shaggers, and I'll see you next time. <gasps>